Welcome, dear listener. This is Louis. I'm your host, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to another episode of The Cove. I've got something a bit different for you today. I'm having a conversation with Phil from Fract. Uh, Fract is a unique project on Solana that's focused on borrowing and lending NFTs, thus making illiquid JPEGs much more liquid. Phil was a great guest and it was really cool to dive into a world where I haven't had the chance to look into it in much detail previously, that of NFT lending. Before we get started, I'd like to share a bit about our favorite sponsor, Streamflow. Streamflow is the leading token distribution platform on Solana. With Streamflow's token vesting service, you have absolute control over the vesting schedule. Set the dates, add a cliff, set automatic withdrawals so that the vested tokens are dropped right into the recipient's wallet, set notifications to the recipient about the stream status and much more. Streamflow's contracts are audited and already have over 150 million in TVL from some of the strongest teams on Solana. If you're looking to set up vesting contracts, head over to streamflow.finance to get started today. I'm here today with Phil, the COO of Fract. Fract uh, allows you to buy, sell, earn, and get liquidity instantly out of NFTs. It is DeFi meets NFTs. Welcome, Phil. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. It's going to be a fun discussion. I'm excited to talk about all things NFT and liquidity. Uh, Before we get into that, do you want to just share a bit about your personal background and how you got into crypto? Yeah, sure. Um... I got into crypto, I would say it was early 2017, Um, you know, it was just before the nice rush of the end of the year. Um, I also was working corporate back then and I was trying to uh, take the lead on a couple of crypto initiatives. Um, Nothing quite big, just to implement a couple of payment mechanisms. I was working for a bank. So obviously, you know, solutions like Ripple um, and other byproducts came to mind. Um, So that was, I would say, my first, uh, you know, contact with the whole crypto uh, space. Then I started lurking on Twitter and made friends through, you know, uh, started trading as well, made friends, get acquainted to a lot of people. And then, you know, uh, after that, I was just lurking for a couple of a uh, couple of years. And I would say my um, my launch into Web3, like purely Web3 and actually participating proactively in projects started summer of last year, where um, I started working for Fract in August. Um, so basically after the foundation with the free devs, the free core devs, uh, I joined them to, to help on a couple of different things. And, you know, as at the beginning, things and responsibilities are not really li- laid out properly. Uh, well, I just tried to do as much as I could to, to help the project. Yeah. So as you're alluding to, Fract is not a new player in, in the market or in mm-hmm. the Solana scene. Would you Could you run us through the the history of Fract and how you came to today? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's actually quite indeed a, uh, a long history. So we, um, we started off as an NFT collection back in June of last year. Um, so we initially minted the first NFT on the 7th of June. Uh, the collection did not mint out right away. Um, it happened over the course of the summer, you know, with Solana summer and whatnot. Um, to give you an idea, we did the whole minting mechanism before uh, Candy Machine. So we were the fourth collection, I think, to mint on Solana uh, and the first gen art. Um, so over the course of the summer, you know, we saw the traction that we received and uh, we also noticed that, okay, there is clearly appetite for NFTs for this new, um, you know, asset class, I would say. Um, but we also quickly realized that 
there were some shortcomings to the NFTs, namely, okay, what can you do then once you've got your NFT? So we, we started digging into solutions like um, staking, which uh, we, we, we made public in, in October, I believe. We were also one of the first ones on Solana to achieve that. Um, we also at the same time had a track in which we were launching other Genard collections through or launchpad uh, because we had a launchpad we wanted to propose the technical services and the technical capabilities that we have as a service so um artists could just focus on generating art and then we'll just make sure that you know they were uh, going through a smooth minting process so we launched 12 collection uh, seven collections very overall uh for a launchpad but we uh we stopped the launchpad at the end of last year um so after the staking in october we also did fractionalization in november we were the first one we uh, actually kicked it off uh, during the solana breakpoint convention in lisbon uh it was quite a fun experience because you know as you know mainnet always fails and of course mainnet failed so uh we uh but the the, the actual demo was on the devnet the day before and it was a huge success so everyone was very happy uh quick run of fractionalization is basically breaking down an NFT into um, tokens to make it more, uh, I would say more easily liquid. Um, so after fractionalization, we kept on pushing a bit the use case through the end of the year. And at the beginning of this year, we have decided after uh, looking a bit at the ecosystem, looking a bit at what was happening and what people actually wanted and needed, uh, we pivoted into a more NFT liquidity based solution with two key products. So one is the loans. So a very general uh, concept. And the second were the NFT pools. Um, and so, yeah, we've been developing these two things throughout this year. Uh, and yeah, as of now, we are in August 2022 and we are fully focused on the loans. So we've also put the NFT pools a bit as a side product uh, because we feel like it's a product that is uh, that can be quite efficient, but also bears uh, some complexities uh, because, you know, it implies uh, having a liquidity pool for your um, for your actual NFTs and the, the, we feel like, you know, the, the, the need and the traction is not there quite yet. And we want to focus on things that people uh, really see a huge uh, need for, which are uh, the loans. I mean, a lot of people are using them to um, to free up some liquidity, be able to, you know, mint out uh, or have fun with the liquidity that they get. So that's what we've been focused on now for the last few, last few months. So I think you were more or less just giving us a tangible example, but is it the case, say I have like a, a D God, for example, mm -hmm. uh, and it's worth, you know, 200, 300, I don't know what the floor is these days, 300 uh, Solana. Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to basically optimize holding that D God. Yep. So then I can, I can loan, I can uh, loan against it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you can borrow against it. So um, it's cool that you mentioned DGOS because it, we have quite a cool feature that is going to be um, ready for them in a couple of days, I think a week and a half from this recording. Uh, is that Borrow against your DGOD, so, you know, DGOD staking, you stake your DGODs, you get dust and, you know, um, by um, other platforms, if you borrow against an NFT, what happens is that you may be stripped of these utilities, right? Uh, which will not be the case anymore with the gods. So you'll be able to borrow against your DGOD and still reap the rewards uh, if you borrow for it through a uh, what we call the perpetual loans. So we have two types of products. If I get back a bit, you have two types of things. You have two types of ways to borrow against your NFT. You can borrow your NFTs in what we call a flip loan, which is a time-based loan. So it's either seven days or 14 days, depending on the depth of the liquidity of the collection. For our DGAS, that would be 14 days. Um, and the, um, the LTV, uh, so it's basically the value for which you can get liquidity for. 
So we, we go for flip flows for maximum currently of 50% LTV. So if you know a DGOS is 300, you can get 150 SOL instantly that you have to reimburse plus interest within 14 days. So that's very straightforward uh, type of loan time-based, right? So you have your 14 days to reimburse. If you reimburse before, then good. Uh, and then you have, of course, a 48 hours grace period if you miss um, the payment date of the 14th day. Now, let's say you believe in the um, in the strength of the flow of the D-guards and you want to borrow against it, but you don't really want to borrow over time. So what you do is that you can actually do what we call a perpetual loan. So it's as if you open a margin position. So you borrow against your NFT, you get liquidity and you just have to reimburse um, part of the interest over time, right? So the idea there is that you open a position against your NFT, you have your liquidity and perpetually you just make sure that the health of your loan is good. Of course, you have a margin period. So if the flow price drops, for example, uh, your loan gets into a position where it becomes risky and you may get liquidated, then we encourage you to, uh, you know, get put money back in the protocol for you to get back within a healthy, uh, I would say, loan status. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, something that immediately comes to mind is uh, is the illiquidity, illiquid nature of many projects. Is that actually kind of a I mean, it's double-edged sword, but it, it seems to me like if the price, if the floor isn't moving around too much, in a sense, it's actually positive if you're loan, if you're taking out a loan against the the NFT, right? Because you don't have to worry too much about getting yeah, liquidated. Indeed, yeah. So it's um, the liquidity, it, it depends a bit, right? The fact that it's illiquid um, proposes indeed a flow price that may be more stable. So us as a protocol, well, we bear less risk, right? Because it's not as volatile. So we can uh, we can be quite sure that, you know, the loan that you're contracting is not, is actually going to be either honored by you because you will just pay it back. Or if you get liquidated and if we, get, if we have to, if we need to get liquidity for the NFT, we know we'll also be able to achieve that. So in terms of uh, protocol risk, it's also very minimal for us. Um, and on that, we try to also have a couple of measures that make sure that, you know, you can't borrow against too many NFTs of the same collection at the same time. And, and we protect ourselves through different type of mechanisms as well to make sure that as a protocol, we can ensure that the liquidity is available and also we can limit the impact of potential black swan events. Purely out of curiosity, do you guys do any collection of data about different projects? I'm curious, like, is there um, much of a difference between, you know, more blue chips versus uh, like smaller new projects? Yeah. in terms of the floor price like shifting really quickly um oh you mean on a price action the floor price themselves um yeah i mean i, I guess it is the case but would, would be curious if you guys are sort of um we, tapping into that we we track it from a distance uh but we are not developing any type of uh, i would say tools in-house what we are developing though is that we are um extrapolating the metrics that we see being at play within the platform to make sure that we can retarget the right people with the right type of loans and the right type of approach as well right um to to really see the traction because what we feel like um a lot of people are trying to achieve with different products is not necessarily just with loans it's overall with DeFi, is that they want to convert everyone to their protocol whereas um, not everyone needs slash wants to use loans, right? So the, the focus, for example, for us is the people using the loans to basically gather the metrics, make sure that we can draw the right conclusions on the people that do use the loans, uh, and then try to focus on um, improving and focusing on that target group. Because for example, let's take the SMBs. 
not 100% of the SMB holders want to use loans. Some people just hold because they like holding and they don't have that need, right? So maybe let's say 30, 40% of the SMB population has appetite for these type of loans. So focus in, is on those 30 to 40%. It's really to understand, okay, what makes those guys tick instead of trying to push your product in the hands of people that may not necessarily either want it or need it. Because then you also expose yourself to, okay, you've pushed a DeFi protocol in the hands of someone that may not understand it or need it, then they're going to use it. And since they're not really got, you know, they don't really have any will to, to really get involved with it, they may have a bad experience with it. And then you kind of get into, a, you know, the, the, I would say the wrong spiral. Um, but more in terms of data, yeah, we do keep track of, of a lot of metrics. We are building some metrics in-house as well on, you know, that, that reflects a bit the... Uh, the i would say the behavior of certain collections in regards to to to, to loans uh and that's something we'll be uh releasing quite shortly so we're still busy establishing it uh, for own use but also for public use because i think it's interesting as well um when you talk to collections to bring them a report saying oh by the way guys look this is attraction that your collection is getting on our platform um we can see that there is appetite for that type of product or for this type of product and maybe you know it can be useful for them uh because what we do as well with um collections is that we do revenue sharing with collections that partner up with us so we do that super openly we do um we, we list collections in a permissionless way uh but what we also do we reach out to them and we say look if we would like help on the education aspect of things uh and uh if they are on board then we share a percentage of the interest being paid by the users right back to the DAO itself or the collection itself. Okay, and the you said permissionless. So can I set up a uh, like a loan pool for any project, or is that done in house at this point? It's done in house at this point. So we we can list any type of collection without having, I would say, the uh, you know the hard yes, for example. Uh, which is what we do sometimes uh, with hype collections uh, so we do list them with very low ltv uh, and quite a uh, i would say limited parameters so that their collection their, their community can you know um benefit from being exposed to loans but at the same time we limit the risk of being exposed to uh, you know floor price manipulation or other type of things but the permissionlessness of the loans is something that we're working on for the future as well but right now we can we do it in-house yeah, I mean, it took it took, for example, Soland like quite a long time to um, to add permissionless pools. Uh, so I imagine you know, it's not it's not a super easy step to take on the lending side. So say I I put my D God in, I, I take out uh, one hundred and fifty Sol um, against my D God. Uh, who's providing the Sol? So right now it's protocol provided. So when you do um, when you do contract a uh, a loan, it's peer to protocol. So we have a pool of liquidity that is provided by uh, anyone that wants to provide liquidity to a protocol, which we offer APY. Uh, that liquidity comes from the protocol. And if you um, go, for example, for the flip loans, it's a pool of liquidity that is capital efficient. So that means nobody's going to be putting 100 or 200 sold to a specific collection. You put um, basically your liquidity to the, uh, the protocol itself. Whereas for the perpetuals, it's different because you put the liquidity to the specific collection. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So, and then say I put in the salon, like I put in some soul into that pool, mm -hmm. like roughly what's the APY? Um, it depends on the pool as well, itself and the utilization of the pool. Um, okay. So in terms of APY, we'll never have an APY that is 2000%. <laughs> That's something that I can already tell you. 
I think that, that that's very much 2021. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So no, in terms of APR, we have a uh, we have an APR that can be quite competitive, uh, but it's based on the utilization of the pool. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it it differs from from each pool. You can check all the APYs in detail when you go on our web page. So on Fractal X Y Z slash loans, and then there you can really see per collection what is the API, and also for the flip loans, what is the APY that you would be getting. And then that that interest that's being paid by the people taking the loans, this is uh, then split up, and a, a portion is sent to the to the project. Yes. A portion goes to the the person who's actually providing the liquidity, and then is is a portion taken for the team or? There's a, there's a portion that that is indeed going back basically to uh to the liquid to the protocol itself. Uh, currently, mm -hmm. that's liquidity that we get as revenue for the protocol, um, and we'll, we'll be introducing the token for which uh, we'll be, we, we've raised for and we'll be issuing an IDO uh, most likely by the end of the year. Uh, that liquidity will be used uh, to have a buying pressure on the token. So basically, to keep on growing the ecosystem within our own token. Yeah, cool. I mean, uh, if if it sounds like I'm going a bit into the weeds, I think, you know, post Luna, everyone is really keen to actually understand, you know, there's that saying, like, if you don't understand where the yield is coming from, then you are the yield. Exactly. So it's it's nice to go and go go a bit deeper and make sure that we understand, you know, how the mechanism is working. Yeah. So yeah, sounds really cool. Uh, so it sounds like you guys tried a few different a few different products before you found one that seems to be a better fit. Is that a right? Is that a correct uh, summary? Yeah, indeed. And and the product that we have now, we've fine-tuned it a couple of times as well. Um, mm -hmm. We are very far away from the MVP that we had at the beginning of this year, um, and and that that was driven by multiple things. Right, it's driven by one the users, which is the main driver. It is does that make sense for you guys as as users to use that product? Um, and two, also sustainability. Right, because the idea as well to, to be competitive for in our eyes is not only to have um, interesting fees or interesting APY. That's one thing that drives up the adoption for sure, but also to be safe and to be sustainable because we want to be there for the long run, right? If, if, if we didn't want to, or if we wanted to be very flashy, we, we could go through ways of trying to attract more liquidity with, you know, uh, using the good old liquidity mining bait. <laughs> You know, because uh, depending on mm. who you use it, right? Liquidity mining can be powerful if used in a very um, strict framework. Uh, but what we saw, uh, what we witnessed, I mean, you had a couple of collections also doing that liquidity mining type of thing, right? You have an NFT, you stake it, you have liquidity coming out of thin air. Uh, and then with that liquidity, basically, a lot of people, if they don't see the utility in the token, they will just go in the market and sell their token for actual money. That will be their utility. That will be printing money out of thin air. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, that, that's so true. Selling selling the token is the utility. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's, yeah, and, that's and, and, and that's, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, uh, there are a couple of projects down there that, that fell victim to that. Um, personally, us, we also saw the, the, the risk with that because at the beginning of the FRKT token that we initiated um, on the 11th of October last year, we also saw these mechanisms in place. We quickly saw how... Mm quickly that could spin out of control so we stopped i think after a couple of uh days weeks we we stopped that type of mechanism because it was unhealthy for us as a protocol but it was also unhealthy for the users because they were getting stuck into something that was in no way shape or form sustainable like it, it was just yeah it, it was just a risk for them that they were going for yeah i i i feel these days if if a team is 
allowing you to like lock up tokens mm -hmm. and then receive like a decent APY on that lockup. Um, and those tokens are doing nothing. It's a bit of a red flag that, you know, there's the incentives are not well aligned like overall for the project yeah. because it's basically like they're paying you to not sell your tokens. Yeah. Um, which is not a, not a long-term approach. No, not at all. And, and at some point, you know, they, they, if people realize that one by one, then your protocol will of course die. If people realize that all at the same time, then you'll be victim to a bank run and then you know, yeah. user protocol will be victim of a bank run because maybe these guys that make these things, not all of them are bad, right? They just create these models, they go live with them because it's very easy to make these models go live. And then when it becomes too big, then they realize, oh shit, we forgot something. <laughs> and it's at that moment that the, the protocol becomes dangerous because people have actually invested a lot of money in there and they end up having money that is tied up in a protocol that is even more illiquid than an NFT, which is bad um and then yeah then not not to mention you have a bit of like their pair tokens in a sense because if the if the token that goes with the nft is is becoming worthless really quickly i think it also affects the the price of the nft as well because the utility of the nft which was to sell the token yeah is is evaporating yeah as well. exactly okay so uh so you mentioned that you have the ido of the token but let, let's go to that in a moment i want to first ask you about a bit like where you see this more liquid approach with nfts where, where you're providing like a, a generic use case you know it's not specific to the project mm -hmm. but they have some kind of loan it's, it's a generic use case for nfts i'd love to hear a bit on your like what's on your mind moving forward where do you see nfts going are they just you know shit coins with pictures <laughs> do they have like a more utility than that yeah um i mean i think it's um Seeing that shit coins with pictures, I think it's got it's got some truth to it, right? I mean, a, a lot of projects are actually, uh, as some people called them back then as well, vaporware. You know, you create something out of thin air, you try to get a uh, a quick buck, and then all the promises of roadmaps, you kind of toss them out the window, and that's it. As a as a founder, you've got your money, and you you run out with it. Uh, we've seen it happen in ICO, we've seen it happen in NFTs, and we'll see it happen with the next thing that will come after NFTs as well. Um, so I think it's just. It's just how it is. Uh, now, I think that what NFTs have opened up the uh, the door to is um, it is more the perception of inclusion, and it has helped also to open up the barriers to entry to the to to the ecosystem. Right, a lot of people have have done the jump uh, with this, not because of the promise of money, but because of the promise of well, basically people can make a lot of cool things, and it's a lot more free, right? In terms of the creators' economy, um, I do see a lot of things, and I do see a lot of artists being empowered with NFTs, which you know was not really the case with ICOs or shitcoins. So I think here there's a there's a huge thing for for people that really want to build something sustainable and and structurally sound, is that you know it is a huge opportunity. Of course you will always have people trying to game the system trying to game mechanisms and and you know inventing these ponzinomics that are super efficient for the next two weeks but after the next two weeks it will blow up in everyone's face but the product owners um so yeah so i think it's um I think NFTs are here to stay. I think we're going to see um, a, uh, you know, like tokens, right? Uh, after the AC of 2017 tokens, a lot of tokens died, but a lot of tokens stayed. Uh, tokenomics became a lot more, uh, I would say, clever in the way they were designed and the way they were built. 
um, which also then made the uh, the tokens a lot more uh, tricky to understand, which also then led to people not understanding what they were getting into and then people getting frustrated. Um, I think with NFTs, it's going to be a bit the same thing, right? When when you read as what is an NFT, it's already something to quite digest if you're not familiar with the concept. Uh, but now if you go, I mean, if when I talk to my dad who's 75 and if I tell him, oh, look, that NFT, actually, if you stake it, you can have a passive income. And on top of having a passive income, you can access that Discord server. I'm not making any sense to him, right? And But I think mm. we're going to see more and more people that try to use NFTs as an onboarding platform to show um, people from the outside world what can be done within the secret system. Like, how can you, you know, come up with DeFi protocols or DeFi toolings linked to NFTs or not linked to NFTs? I think it's what, what is important. And I think it's what each project should uh, work towards is not only the growth of their own project, but the growth of the ecosystem in general, because right now we are at a stage in the ecosystem where we can all benefit uh, from more inclusion and from more people in the ecosystem. So yeah, I think it's going yeah. to be, I think it's um, the, 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 the fact that the market is slowing down a bit now, um, I don't think is, you know, is means a lot. Uh, for example, before BAYC was launched, I think the market was also a bit slowing down for NFT. So it's, um, you know, it can be a good opportunity for projects to, to pop at this moment, or it can be a good opportunity for um, for people to rethink a bit what they want to achieve with, with this. I think it's key, right, that people keep on their toes. I think I, I was saying this, I, I think, you know, uh, recently that like that initial rush into NFTs, it reminded me so much of the ICO period mm -hmm. in, geez, when was it, 2017? 2017, yeah, end of 2017. Yeah, that, that, like, that, it was a crazy... Um, period and there was nothing behind almost all the projects um, you know you had like a an ICO for a dental coin um, and you know every kind of coin you can imagine yeah. um, and then it was the same with the NFTs like there was so many so like the volume of projects that were launching was was really you know at some point the market couldn't eat it up on Solana um, and it feels very much like now we're in a in a uh, in a stage where it's like, do, what does your project offer? You know, like, what does it different? How does it differentiate mm -hmm. itself? Um, and like, what are you bringing into the game? You know, technically as well, which is like a required stage in the evolution of the NFT, like where it becomes more and more useful. Yeah. And like casting your mind much, much f further in the future, a lot, like a lot of you know futurists or people that are really boosting NFTs, they they see NFT application in many different areas of the real world. Um, do you think that like we'll get to a point where you know like certain real world objects will be nfts like your car or something and you can trade it and then would you would that be something you could then get a loan against or you know how would you think about like, like and now we're speaking maybe five or ten years mm -hmm. in the future but just hypothetically yeah i think the uh, the door is definitely open uh i think like you've mentioned right ico's already back then with tokenization of a dental coin I mean, they were already thinking about tokenizing everything, you know, every service that we could have in in, in real life. I would say, um, I think this mm. use case and this pursuit of achieving that is is still there with NFTs. Um, I think it will indeed be at some point. You you will have NFTs bound to real estate. You know, I think uh, Bridge Split, with whom we used to compete back then about fractionalization. Uh, I know now they are exploring a bit more the real life aspect of of use cases, which is interesting. Um, uh, I think it's going to be tricky, though, because it's all about the maturity of the people to whom you're selling, right? And to whom, um, I mean, who's going to be using your product, basically. Um, for, for people to use crypto, even right now, even after, even after so many years, um, you know, I, if, if I mention crypto to people that don't know what it is, they think I'm working in a Ponzi scheme. 
you know, mm. which could be true for other people, but you know, <laughs> um, it, it's just regardless of how big we're dreaming of making, for example, uh, you know, applying NFTs to, like you said, a car. I think it's very much feasible. It's very probable as well. You know, you could you could have your own wallet in which you have everything that you own represented as an NFT, and then you could go to a liquidity protocol. Oh, I don't need my car for the next six months. I would like to, um, you know, pawn it and then uh, get some liquidity out of it because I'm pretty sure it's going to conserve its value over the course of the next six months. And then with that money, I can do something that I will pay back in six months. For sure. I think in terms of decentralized finance, that offers huge possibilities but it implies that um in order to to get there the the adoption and the understanding of what is an nft or what is the next thing that is bound to a uh, a a real life um item or you know uh or good is it's just to make sure that everyone perceives that value because if mm. it's, it's it's like that saying that goes you know um one bitcoin is worth you know uh, right now it's what 24k uh, but 21 million bitcoins if you own all of them it's worth zero right it's a bit that way as well mm. in terms of distribution mm. of thing and perception of value so people have to see the the, the, the perception of, of the value itself otherwise it's just not going to work it's just going to be um, an extra layer to something that could work anyway within the real world so we have to make sure also mm. it's, it's like back then with crypto um, and as of today with nfts not to overuse it and over apply it to everything. I think NFTs have very specific use cases, interesting ones that will mm. be explored. Um, but it's like with crypto, sometimes a an actual ledger, an Excel file does a better job than a cryptocurrency for certain things. And I think it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And there'll always be, well, at least there will be for the foreseeable future, like an Oracle problem with, with real world objects where like, you know, who uh, in the end has jurisdiction over, over that over that item you know if i steal your car nft do i own your your car that's going to be a problem i think for quite a long time yeah indeed and also like you said in terms of oracles even for price for pricing itself right because um, nfts right now an nft is is worth the same in india that it is worth in you know the us or, or wherever in the world right it's got that value on the chain now if you are for example if you use a car you know let's say you you take a i don't know a, a volkswagen golf it has a certain value in the UK, it has another value in Belgium, it has another value in India. Mm. What price oracle are you going to be using if you are two people from different sides of the world and you want to transact that specific car? Not saying it would happen, but that's a bit, you know, the fringe case from which you have to think about. Because, you know, like a car is maybe 10 grand, 15 grand in the UK, but that same car, there's no way that it would sell for 10 to 15 grand in India or in another country that is, you know, a bit different with cars. Then we need car arbitrages. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. a, it's it's um it's a really hard problem. It feels like directionally like it's something that should happen in the future, but yeah, there's so many hard 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 problems to bring it into yeah. reality. Uh, okay, so let's move on to the tokenomics for FRKX yeah. uh, token. So, like, we don't have to dive too deep, but would you mind just briefly outlining sort of how the tokenomics are going to work for the token? Yeah, for sure. Um, so basically, what we are going to be doing, because in order to not to confuse the audience, if you decide to do a bit of research into Fract, right? We currently have a token that is active that we launched uh, back in October last year, which is FRKT, uh, which is um, we don't do any missions on it anymore. It's a token that was used uh, to basically reward the people that had uh, NFT holdings. Um, it will be used as a uh, governance tool 
included within the FRKX token. So basically we are merging the FRKT to token into the FRKX. Um, and the FRKX token, to keep it very simple, um, if you know Binance's BNB or FTX's FTT, the use case is going to be very similar in a way. So the more token you have and you stake, the more benefits you have within all platforms. So that is reduced fees, uh, better terms for loans and whatnot. And combined to this, we'll also implement a referral mechanism. So if you have, um, if you're staking to a certain tier, if you, you will have a ref link anyway, even if you don't stake. So you have a ref link and whoever uses your ref link will basically be getting you fees for their usage. Um, and here the mechanism is exactly as the same for BNB, uh, for example, and for FTT. So ref link system uh, to, to increase the adoption rate as well from the, uh, from the ecosystem. Um, and yeah, combined to that, we will have protocol related holder benefits uh, with, as I've mentioned, but everything will be targeted as um, having better terms, better fees and whatnot within the platform. So no type of, you know, funny thing uh, that is not sustainable. <laughs> and uh, something I've, I've chatted, I think with, uh, with um, Tempest from Neptune was like, if you stake, you know, X number of tokens, mm -hmm. uh, but then there's constantly like a token emission. Um, so it seems like the amount that you have to stake then as the tokens are being emitted is as a, as a percentage of the total amount of tokens is constantly lessening. Is there some kind of like decay method or something so that, you know, you need to actually keep up with the, the token supply mm -hmm. when you're staking? Yeah. So basically the, um, the way we go on about this is that indeed there will be token emission. Um, so we'll be emitting tokens through, you know, trading rewards, for example, on our platform with people that do, you know, uh, things with perpetual loans and flip loans. But at the same time, with the protocol fees that we'll be getting, we'll be burning tokens. So mm -hmm. what we emit will be basically buying it off the open market, so off the market and burning them right away to keep the balance. So if you want a zero sum game in a way, so people staking a certain amount will be overflooded at some point by the emissions because, well, by to the usage of the platform, that specific emission will be canceled out by us buying and then burning. Mm -hmm. Okay. So say I have 200 NF, uh, FRKX, um, I stake that and I don't, I don't need to worry about topping that up over time. I, I can keep that staking yes. to achieve a certain, okay, yep, gotcha. that's correct. Okay, cool. Yeah, sounds good. And when is that launching? Um, so the token itself, we are aiming to have the IDO by the end of this year. So there's no specific date okay. just yet. Um, we are going to be targeting a uh, second phase for a race. So we've raised uh, a first time beginning of this year. Uh, I would say a pre-seed round uh, type of angle. And now we're going to be uh, doing a second raise. And after the second raise, we'll be launching the IDO. Nice. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. So yeah, we're coming up on time here, but I'd like to just get your thoughts on the Solana NFT space overall. We had some drama recently regarding the royalty question. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that drama and then just like overall, you're, you know, as someone who's working particularly in NFTs, uh, I'd like to get your assessment of, you know, where we are right now with NFTs on Solana. Yeah. Uh, for sure. I think, you know, royalties, as we've discussed, discussed a bit offline, is, uh, I think it's an interesting thing. I think it's good that disruption happens um, because it, it pushes the reflection of, okay, 
what have we been doing up until now? Is it something that was good? Is it something that was sustainable? So it's good that sometimes, you know, some someone tosses a, uh, a huge rock in the middle of the pond so we can get a bit thinking about it. Um, I think the royalties in itself, um, having, for example, 0% or, or whatever percentages is, um, is tricky. Um, it has to be done in a specific way. So, for example, when we look at your that goes over the marketplace with 0%, uh, when we also look at Solsi now following the trend, um, Sorry, Solsi, no, it's not Solsi, it's uh, Solart, I think. Um, I think it's very interesting to keep that in mind, uh, that for the uh, for the next collections and so on, it's something that will be very tricky to deal with. Um, but for royalties themselves, I think it's uh, it opens up the question that people always mention, oh yeah, it's 0% and you pay whatever you want, but also sometimes as a collector, you would like to tip more than what you would have paid as royalties to the collections. So maybe there's some balance there to be found. Uh, not saying that it will be the case, but I think it's something to um, think about. Um, so yeah, so in terms of where is this going to lead us, I think it's going to lead us to a better place, but sometimes you know, you have to have <laughs> rough discussions and very unhappy people talking about it. Uh, we just have to make sure that at the end of the day, we don't forget the uh, the fact that well, creators are the ones, you know, creating NFTs and they are the ones populating the uh, the ecosystem with, with their creations and their projects. Um, and I think having a revenue mechanism that way is, you know, it's up to the creator to make it that way. And it's up to the users that want to, um, to, to get involved with it if they feel like they want to pay that percentage or if they don't want to pay that percentage. So I think it's a it's an open discussion right now, and uh, and in terms of the NFT space in general for for Solana, I think it's a it's a very specific ecosystem. I think it's a very dynamic ecosystem. Uh, there's a lot of things happening. Uh, sometimes too much happening is difficult to keep track of everything. Um, but yeah, I feel like the um, the Solana ecosystem as a whole for 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 NFTs uh, will get stronger. Uh, in the next couple of months, uh, because now, you know, the NFT market is slowing down a bit. I think it's a good moment for, for projects, you know, like ours, like any other projects actually in the ecosystem that, that really want to, to create some stickiness with the users to provide some very solid educational uh, content. So be it videos explaining what people do, what projects do, uh, what DeFi is applied to NFTs or, or whatnot. I think the more educational content is out there from projects that are established, the better it will be because when people will start doing their research about the NFTs, hopefully they land on one of our videos or one of your podcasts, you know, because then they can actually get sensible and good information and they can remake their minds about, okay, this is what it is and I'm interested in getting involved with it. Or I'm not interested, but at least they won't be interested, but for the right reasons, right? It's not like they would land on a influencer's video they string to shill a project to the moon and then, you know, they end up getting absolutely destroyed on their life savings because that's not the point. So I think it's a it's a maturity stage right now. So it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, and just to add to that, in terms of generic utility across the space, particularly for Solana, um, you, we've got like XNFTs and Backpack uh, mm -hmm. coming out, you know, sometime in the near future. Uh, and it's easy to imagine how this will, you know, unleash a bunch of opportunities for NFT projects to create sort of small widget-like apps inside Backpack or to you know, make their, their, um, their art artwork available, mm -hmm. you know, maybe composably across other applications. Um, and then looking a bit further, I think that the, the saga phone and SMS will also unleash a lot of possibilities for NFT, um, NFTs to be used, you know, really at like a, 
a base level inside a phone. Yeah. So, because, you know, for example, we've seen for quite a long time, like Ethereum NFT users having like their, what is it, diamond shaped or something, uh, hexagon shaped yeah. um, profile pictures. And so, you know, it'll be nice to see. I'm sure that like Solana NFTs will be sort of first class citizens in that sense on the, on the saga. And uh, so I can imagine like a lot of opportunities for integration and for using the NFTs mm-hmm. actually, you know, while you're using your phone with your decentralized, uh, you know, app store. Um, so this is, I think, an exciting opportunity in the future for NFT projects. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I also think so. Yeah, cool. Then uh, before we finish off, can you just share a bit where where folks who are pumped about Fract and want to learn more can find info? Um, well, basically, they can find any type of information they need on our Discord. Um, I will not give you the exact link right now, but you can find it on our Twitter page, fract underscore HQ. And you can also go through our whole documentation on docs.f, uh, docs.fract.xyz, uh, which is basically our Git book. Uh, and we put all the content there. And we are working now on populating a YouTube channel as well, um, on which we'll be basically making one to two minutes uh, videos uh, with very digestible content and we'll be uh, partnering up with, you know, communities we've worked with to make sure that, you know, everyone can relate to what we're going to be saying, basically. And that's it. And you can always reach out to us in DMs or via Discord or it really does not really matter. We're always happy to uh, to have discussions, to have calls with anyone that wants to learn more about what we do. There you go. Uh, so Fract, if you have some illiquid JPEGs that you want to earn some uh, yield on, then head to Fract and you can loan them out. Thanks so much, Phil, for coming on and sharing all about Fract. I'm excited to hear how the idea goes in the future. Sounds good. Thanks for having us, Louis. Have a good one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a review if you're feeling generous. And I'd also like to give a brief reminder that nothing said on the podcast is financial advice. My views are my own. And when navigating crypto, remember that you are responsible for your own assets and always do your own research.